Hi and welcome to the podcast, you're having tea with Alice. If you're a new listener to the podcast, this is a podcast where I talk with a guest, a different guest every week about difficult ideas, things that they're wrestling with or things that they find themselves having, having to go, wait, wait, let me explain complex uh, I- ideas. So I very much like having that kind of conversation. If you are a regular listener, I've got to apologize. I haven't put up a podcast in the last couple of weeks. Uh, If you have been following me on Twitter at Alliterative or on my blogs at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser, you might know that I had some family tragedy, which is my grandmother, my mum's mum, died a couple of days before I got back from the UK. So the last couple of weeks have been dealing with family tragedy and the kind of spin-off emotional elements of that and I just haven't put up a podcast on the bright side that means I do have a couple of really good ones in the bank and I will put them up back on our regular schedule this week's episode is with Matt Kirshen who is the co-host of Probably Science the co-host of Probably Science and an excellent interlocutor we talked about all sorts of fascinating things, including terrorism and why it isn't as bad as we think it is unless it's as bad as we think it is, and uh, why tragic accidents aren't really that tragic or accidental. Listen on. It's a, it's a fun, difficult conversation, and we ramble a little before we get to it, but to be fair, we'd both been at a podcast festival for a couple of days, so it was quite nice sitting by the poolside talking Uh, There is a little bit of noise from the pool. There's children running around in the background making children noises. I don't think it interferes with the quality of the conversation. It's sort of nice, pleasant, atmospheric background noise, but if the sound of children being children offends you, uh, this might not be the one to listen to. Thanks so much. Hit me up on alicerfraser at gmail.com if you want to chat, or Twitter at alliterative, or if you want to read my blogs, they're on patreon.com slash alicefraser, and you can give me money there if you like. It goes towards the buying tea for my guests and the hosting of the podcast. That's that's where it all goes to so far. I'll let you know if I start spending it on uh, other sort of less worthy causes. But I think tea for the guests is the most worthwhile expenditure I can make. Anyway, that's all I had to say. I think I think I said it all. I hope I didn't miss anything out. If I did. Again, just email me or say hi on any of the other social media and I will try to respond to you as quickly as possible. You're having tea with Alice. Perfect. Hi and welcome to the podcast, You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's guest is Matt Kirshen, who is a comedian, a transatlantic comedian. And you're drinking, what are you drinking? Well, this is, this is Censure uh, Green Tea with a slight hint of coffee because it... Comes, I know that's exactly the kind of scream that you'd expect when there's a slight hint of coffee that's got into the tea, but it's come from the we're at the LA Podcast Festival. Yes, we're we sitting at poolside and we're we watching went, children play happily. We went to the production office to nab some of their refreshments, but it's that hotel kind of thing, and and American hotels don't really do tea very much or well, so they don't keep things that they use for coffee separate. From things that they use for tea. So every coffee hot water and has a slight, or tea hot water and has a slight hint of coffee about it. Which is terrible, terrible. We were just just discussing, because I tour in America now as well, most, like every British and every American, and every British and every Australian hotel room has some manner of boiling water. Yeah. Like it has the makings of water boiling. Well, in that I asked Stu Goldsmith if I could use his hotel room to do this podcast and he said, sure. And then I looked around and could not find a teapot. Yeah. So then we had to go on a hunt for this uh, relatively quiet and secluded area. But you start to work out like, okay, if you want to do tea, then 
you start looking at, okay, does it have a microwave? That's the best thing, because then you can just microwave the water and then you're okay. If not that, does it have one of those drip coffee machines? Because then if you take everything out... Uh, and just run it a few times. Just run it a few times. Or even, like, in some of them, you can kind of jam the thing that t tells... There's like a little sensor that means it won't run if it doesn't have the thing that holds the filter paper oh, in. Oh wow! So you, you can really push have a little to thing. Yeah, you can, anyway. MacGyver it. You have to MacGyver it a bit to avoid it tasting coffee. Or worst case scenario, how hot does the water run in the tap? But then that's kind of like that's, that's really, upsetting. That's, that's really yeah, worst that's case really worst case scenario. That's like I mean, this isn't a war zone. What are we talking like? Yeah, this is we're, we're humans. We're civilized human beings. Really? I thought you know part of the part of the great um, one of the great upsides of the British Empire was that most places in the world you can get a cup of tea. Well, we're in a part that very aggressively rejected that empire, <laughs> specifically True. the tea bit. That's almost the to the point where I think that I mean I've heard I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, but I'm gonna s pretend that it's real because it makes me happy that part of the reason that Americans cut their food in the way that they do. So they have a uh, left-hand fork, right-hand knife, and then they cut their food and then they swap their fork to the right hand. Uh -huh. Apparently, uh, I heard that this was a way of uh, sniffing out British spies because British spies just would think that that was bad table manners. Interesting. That I think that's probably apocryphal, it but sounds I'm going to to believe it's but true. I, yeah, it's one of those ones that it's... It'd be a nice thing to put in a plot point in something. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. A historical fiction or romance novel. Lovely. And then if I'm in a cafe or restaurant in America, they, and you ask for tea, they inevitably bring the hot water, and then a few minutes later they'll bring out a tea bag. Yeah, which they'll bring is like a cup of hot water and then a tea bag, which and is then madness. Which I wonder if if that's because they everyone here customizes things so much. Everybody wants a very specific take on every. Yeah, meal. and also it's no just one not just says I'll have the hamburger. They say I'll have the hamburger without the thing, with the thing, add the thing, make that sure there's no I bread. That's something I quite like about no America ham. is that there's, if you are, if you are, if you do have any kind of fussy eating habits, there's no. It's not considered bad in any way to swap stuff around. Like yeah. you don't. I have. I'm still very British about it. Like if I need to go, like, hey, can I get that maybe without the onions on it or something? I like I, I do it in a really apologetic way. Like, hey, I know I'm going to be putting you out. Yes. And. Normally, most restaurants, it's just the, the reaction from the wait staff is the most normal thing in the world. Like, yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. Yeah, I think yeah, we'll just tell the chef not to put the onions on it when when they when, when they're the time making comes it. to put the onions on. They'll just do not do that. Do you have fussy eating habits? Well, not he well, I'm vegetarian, so that's that's a major fussy eating habit. That's a huge sway. Can, of I, potential yes, can I have things. the meat plate without the meat? Exactly. In certain, <laughs> I mean, hamburger. Hamburger. Look at the central, the the middle layer of it. Could you just eliminate the middle layer from it? Well, I mean, there's. It's not unusual for people to ask for burgers with no bread here, particularly in LA. That's true. Yeah, so but I don't have any of those. I kind imagine, of fuzzy I like hypothetically, if you were to say what is integral to a hamburger, it would be probably more the bread than the burger. Probably because you can yeah. have a vegetarian hamburger that doesn't sound like an abomination. That's true. Otherwise, it's just a lettuce wrap. Yeah, it's just. I also can't eat. It's just nuts. a badly put together salad. Yeah. You can't eat nuts. So that's the other fussiness of my... So sometimes, like, if I have to order... So if you're vegetarian, then you're looking at the salads quite often in restaurants, and then they put walnuts in, or almonds in salads. Uh-huh. Are you... How allergic are you to Not nuts? particularly. Not it's particularly. Just unpleasantly. It messes my yeah. stomach up. Okay, fair. It's not a good scene, like, an hour or so later, but I'm not going to need an EpiPen. Yeah, okay. That's the best kind of allergy to have. It is. 
because it's the one where other people die of it, so they're going to be super careful. Yeah, but that also means that sometimes they, I end up having this weird conversation where they really overreact, where, where I sort of go... They go, oh, we can't guarantee that anything in the kitchen hasn't yeah, been rubbed on like, by a nut. And I have to be like, it's fine. Like, even if I eat a stray peanut, I'm okay. Yeah. It's just if I eat a handful of them, that ain't good. Yeah, fair, fair. Uh, yeah, so I have to... Like, they're like, we use pans that have been... I'm like, it's okay. <laughs> That's completely... And other people at the table who don't know me as well like, is it okay if I have... But yeah, yeah. It's, it's fine. You can eat it. I can be next to them. I don't need to alert the plane i don't need to alert the airline that no one can open a packet of dry roasted on my flight yeah apparently now the the current data indicates that if you introduce kids to potential allergens quite early they're less likely to get uh, allergies later yeah, on but I, I don't know how it keeps flitting around i don't because I, I don't have kids so i don't know what i think if you have kids then you you're suddenly very up on all the latest when when do you give them egg when do you not give them egg do you do you eat peanuts when you're pregnant or not? And like I don't know, they keep changing as to what the thing, the right thing is to do. I got a friend whose kid, like he's now just turned two, and he's very allergic to eggs. But apparently, that's an allergy that you grow out of. Oh, interesting. Apparently, you often grow out of. But every so often, they have to, or they they've got it booked in at some point in the near future. He's basically got to eat a small amount of egg in. A doc, like in front of a doctor, like they go into the <laughs> hospital, so they basically like they make him eat egg while a doctor's looking at him and being ready to deal with whatever happens. <laughs> Just the egg show that the yeah. doctor gets to watch. Exactly, which means that, like ideally, I'd, obviously, I'd nothing. I'd let happens. someone pay me to watch a baby eat an egg. Yeah. It's <laughs> 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 it's next year's Edinburgh. Wasn't there a show this year in Edinburgh where like, they just put a baby on stage for? You were at Edinburgh this year, right? Yeah, at the yeah. festival. Wasn't there just? A, I remember reading just that. Like one of those rundowns of like <laughs> 10 unusual shows at this year's Edinburgh Fringe, and one of them was just someone put a baby on stage, and people were going, Like, I went there cynical, but by the end, it was just really, I just really started thinking about myself and life and the world. Isn't that what Neil Potenza does when he, I mean, um, what's his name? God. The man on the man, young man pretending to be an old man dressed as a gorilla. Or oh, was that who's behind it? Yeah. Oh, I ruined everything. I don't know. I, I remember it being a mystery at first. Like, the first year they did it in Edinburgh, there was just like a piece of. Like a photocopied A4, like Microsoft Word printed thing, like 4 p.m. tomorrow. What is it? Like they've had it every year. Every year. Yeah, a young man dressed as a gorilla dresses an old man sits in a chair for 55 minutes, then leaves. Yeah, that was it. And then like. And then everyone goes to it, and that's what it is. And then they're shocked and horrified. <laughs> but then the next year, the next year there was like another thing added to the sentence. Almost like those sort of memory car games. Oh, interesting. I, like, I went shopping and I bought a purple fishing rod and a thing. Like it's just like the next added, year it was added, like added. while reading the while reading the Daily Telegraph upside down uh. and then leaves or whatever. Like it was by the fourth year that it was like elaborate. Yeah, it was like a almost a show. Forty uh, word sentence. Well, I don't know how I feel about art like that. I'm glad it exists, but anyone who actually makes it question, makes me question. Yeah, I think, but also... Just in the way is, like, if your child has really severe allergies, you should probably, for the good of the species, just let them die. <laughs> but no one's going to take that hit. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, let them die in front of a doctor while the doctor's watching. <laughs> yeah. How are you doing? Well, the next week we've got to take our kid into the doctor to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've, oh. We're going to feed him egg, but then we promise, he's promised, the doctor's promised not to intervene. I'm going to blame that on jet lag. Yeah. Uh, I do, I do, I mean, I feel like... 
I have a, f- uh, a thing that I will bring up uh, in the absence of you having a thing or you can bring one up after. Okay. Uh, when people call it a tragic accident, when somebody's doing something incredibly dangerous and then they die doing that dangerous thing. I mean, it's tragic, well, but it's classical tragedy. It's like hubris and defeat. When you say like the, the phrase tragic skydiving accident is... It's, yeah, it's, all, it's not... Well, I mean, yeah, skydiving is, I mean, relatively safe. But things like, yes, tragic skydiving accident. I, I remember it struck me most forcibly at the Powerhouse Museum in Australia, in Sydney. They've got these handmade dune buggies that this group of young men made. Yeah. Homemade dune buggies. And they went around the world on these jerry-rigged dune buggies. And then one of them died tragically in the Sahara Desert, a tragic uh-huh. accident. A tragic homemade dune buggy Sahara Desert accident yeah you know like every bit of that expression (laughs) which is not to say that it's less of a tragic loss of human life or that his family felt less sad about it but it's not what i would call an accident well i think or a tragic accident we're also um humans are badly placed to put um tragic tragedies in scale yes which is why here here's a thing of mine all right oh excellent i've Uh, seeded the ground good most terrorist atrocities aren't atrocities or even that bad yeah comparative to comparative to most things like uh but they're uh, the reason why they work is that they're impactful but the reason why they're impactful is partly the fault of us yes and the, the media and humans and that's entirely natural. That we're, it's inbuilt in us to respond. So, like, there's no way of saying this without say, sounding horrendously callous. But pick any recent. I did just suggest letting a baby die. Well, that's true. Doctor, so. Um, so I'm gonna. I'm the good guy. In, in the this. realm of ideas, there's no. Yeah, I remember, no I'm the good person answers. out of the two of us in this podcast. Any listeners who <laughs> are evaluating that at this moment? They're loyal to me, Matt. They're gonna go well, with me. Well, I'm that loyalty slip right now. Let's. <laughs> but like. like like pick any recent tragedy, like like the 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 two horrible things that happened in France recently, for example, mm. or the bombings in London, whatever, or the thing in in Australia. Um, the like, nature of them is that they're disproportionate in their impact to their wildly, actual. Wildly disproportionate, wildly disproportionate. You know, people. The, like the week that su- like the week that a hundred people die from a terrorist attack, and that's the front page of every newspaper in the world for like three days. And there's analysis and what can we do to change this and what can we do to stop this and how can we make sure this will never happen again. And how much is Islam to blame and how much are Muslims to blame and yeah, how, how much, much is society to blame and so on. The Western government and all of this to blame, yeah. And in the same week, more people around the world will die from falling off a chair <laughs> or, for, or you know, from tripping up. More people that afternoon will die from car crashes yeah. around the world. More people will die from like the flu. In childbirth. Yeah, like so many things. And there are certain aspects of those that, when it's big numbers, where you really can do shit to stop it. Like when you talk about childbirth, there are definite medical interventions around the world that we could do as a society, as a, as a people, and we can stop that. Uh, how can you stop terrorism? To a certain extent, you can't. Because the whole point of it is it's a small group of people having a large effect. There's, without, without basically infringing all... All, on all our civil liberties, which they're doing a good which job, doing of. A good job of, but you basically can't. Um, what you can do, the two things you can do, are make the world in general a more welcoming place to everyone, so that there's less resentment, oxygen for that, for that resentment to grow, 
And the other thing you can do Get everyone is two levels into a game that they really want to win. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and th But then also, is and this is the really hard thing, because it comes into it comes into questions of freedom of the press, but stop advertising it through the newspapers, which is really hard to say, but there are really clear rules on... Like, the press are generally a lot better than they were 15, 20 years ago about suicide. Yes. Like... They're much better about reporting suicide. They've ch people like the Samaritans and psychologists and charities have made it clear to journalists, hey, listen, there's really good evidence that when you, if you in any way glamorize it, if you talk in detail about the methods used, if you say things like took his own life rather than died by suicide, yes. um, you encourage copycats and you encourage... Yeah. You encourage this to happen more. Well, because but, but um, if you, part if you, of it is knowing that you can. Yeah, and if you, but if you minimize it and localize it and talk about the very local sadness of people, uh, but don't in any way glamorize them, that reduces that. And there's also there's a great piece that Charlie Brooker did on his show that broke down what psychologists say should happen after a, things like a school shooting mm. or a mass shooting, and on his piece, he intersperses it with examples from everyone from the BBC to CNN to ABC to all of these people doing, doing the exact wrong. opposite of it. <laughs> but it's like, it's like, uh, don't start your story with flashing sirens. Don't turn the perpetrator into an anti-hero. And it cuts to the BBC reporter going like, clad in black, the man stalked the corridors of the <laughs> school. Uh, and it's like, um, and he's saying, like, don't do all of these things because it encourages copycats. And the same is true. Of t well, terrorism is basically the same as school shootings. Like the and people it's the same as suicide, often. Totally, totally. How can we be better at describing suicide than suicide bombers? <laughs> yeah. Like, if they only had a Beyond Blue number down the bottom of... Yeah, it's dejected, disenfranchised people who don't see another option. And, it's, and don't see another outlet. And when it comes to, like, school shooting and, and like things like Islamic terrorism. And like they're, they're two sides of... They're not even two sides of the same coin. It's like two... The same side of the co same coin from a slightly different lighting. Like, it's it's the same thing. It's just whether, like, right-wing rhetoric on the internet or or poetry took hold of them or... Like, yeah. Or, sp like, specific weird, like, isolationist poetry took hold of these people or religion... But in each case, it's the, it's normally people who are they relatively smart, but relatively isolated from society and have, for whatever reason, not got out of life what they hope to have got out of life. And suddenly they see this answer in another way. And you know, there's all, it's all the same psychology. And in both cases, we give them exactly what they want. And we make other people who have those feelings think... Oh, that's a way to articulate That's a way to make feeling. this mark on the world that I've not been able to make a mark on. Well, we seem quite good at, at noticing that in terms of um, identity politics now. So people right. say you you can't be what you can't see, or you know if you recognise yourself on stage, then you see what you can do. If you, the, if there are more women on stage, more women go, oh, I can do comedy, or right. if you see more women on leading te panels on television shows, you think, oh, I can do that. Right, if you I see people who are black in movies who aren't just there to be the black person. Yes, then that empowers people. I agree, to a certain extent, I agree. I agree with both of the things that you've said, mm -hmm. and I, then I want to complicate both of the things you've said, in that, like... Yeah, it's definitely not as simple as I just... I think part... I think there are two ways of doing that identity thing, which is... Like either detaching from your own identity, which is kind of what I did. I 
don't think of myself hugely as a woman, even though I'm defined in many ways by that. I think of myself as a giant floating brain in a balloon. So yeah. when I saw I've also Boys just realised that you're a woman because I'm so enlightened. I don't see gender. Oh, very beautiful. But <laughs> I, I'm going to give you this uh, flower that I have in my hair. Um, I uh, see. I thought you were wearing that Hawaiian just that because you were just Hawaiian or something <laughs> or from Bali or something. I don't. It's very good. I also don't see nationality. You don't see nationality. You don't see. I don't. I don't understand language generally. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. a, but I, uh, I actually it, got really bad eyesight. Oh That's really? What it is. I think I'm blind. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I could be blind. No, I'm I was um, walking into traffic. I think because I felt quite disconnected from my own identity. I was bullied at high school and stuff. I was always the weird kid. I didn't think of myself as fitting into many categories. Mm-hmm. So when I saw people doing stand-up, I didn't think those are men doing stand-up. I thought those are people doing stand-up. I can do that. I'm a people. Okay. I'm a brain in a bubble. And so my own kind of disenfranchisement from my identity, I didn't think of myself as a girl or a, a woman or any of those things. Right. Because I was explicitly rejected from those things at school. Uh-huh. And I had a twin brother, I guess, so I was connected into the world of just people being people, not yeah. boys or girls. Um, so in, I think there's kind of two ways that, and as a society, we've clearly chosen the one way, which is right. recognize and, and celebrate identity rather than disconnect from identity and say, you know, these are things that you can take on or not take on uh-huh. as you choose. And ideally, you want to disconnect from it internally and disconnect from it externally yeah. in terms of what you put on people because of their markers. Um, so that's me slightly complicating that. And then the other one is I think that you're probably right about most Western terrorism, even of you know people who are of faith in Western societies. I think when you get to things like suicide bombing in the West Bank, I think a lot of those kids who do that are your high achiever kids. They're the kids who would end up in NGOs otherwise if they were brought up in a middle class Western mm-hmm. society. So but I think there is a subcategory of people who really genuinely... Well, but they're, they're still disenfranchised people, but then you're talking about people where the entire society is so disenfranchised. Yeah. The, the whole collective group is pushed so down that you don't really need to be that disenfranchised to yeah. that. Well, the idea of it is as, as a step up rather than a, a mm-hmm. step out, I but think. It, but in all those cases, they, they, they work, they have an effect because of... The reason why they do it is people feel powerless for whatever reason, yes. and this is an extreme way to gain power. And the the, hor- the the horrible thing to admit is that to an extent they are right. Yeah. Like when it comes to. Well, it's effective. Yeah. Absolutely. When, when it comes to, and again, this is there's no way of saying this without sounding callous, but just in the most objective, dispassionate way of looking at it, like. Nine Eleven, was, astonishingly effective. Oh, astonishingly yeah. effective when you talk about like a sort of just as an economist in terms of like cost benefit analysis like oh. the for the amount of outlay it's called they trained two guys four guys I mean, it was like it was a dozen basically a dozen guys but um but for that for that outlay and for that amount of whatever cost they have the, like the spider diagram of the ca- international chaos that has spun out from that oh yeah there's no and bins on train stations anywhere anymore yeah like how that's the level to yeah, which it's penetrated the world. There's war in countries that were never going to have war, like all scattered across. Like the sort of the domino effect of that one single event. Yeah, scattered so it's far and wide. And if really. it, your job is to try and stir up this chaos, stir and stir up this, because because again, in you know, you're, because you have this, in my view, horribly misguided idea of a how the world would be, and also that sort of, I was going to say religious, but it's not exclusively religious. But it often comes from religion, this idea that 
trying to bring about Armageddon, trying to bring about chaos. Trying to bring chaos that will stir up... Like, it's in the interest of the people behind 9-11, the people who start... and behind these other major attacks. It's in their interest to then have the West retaliate. Yes. Like, it's in their interest to have the West retaliate. To divide. So it's in their interest to... It's in their interest to strengthen their opponents. Because that'll then strengthen their... Because then they believe that'll strengthen the opposition to their opponents, which will strengthen their sides. Absolutely. The more atrocities the West commits, the more converts but, you have. But then you see this argument come up in in secular politics. And I think you see it happen with, like, the sort of burn your bust people. Or in Britain, some of the more hardcore Jeremy Corbyn nights where they're like... Where they're like, no, we... Like, fuck the mainstream. We want this view of how the world should be. Yes. Um... And this mainstream has failed. So I'm happy to let Donald Trump win this election because the opposition to it will become strengthened so much that That's next time around we'll win. And that has never worked in the history of mainstream politics. That has never that been. That has never people worked. People said that about people. And often it's the young people, often it's younger people saying that now who were kids when Bush Gore happened. But they're forgetting, like, people were saying exactly the same thing about Bush Gore. They were saying, like, let Bush win, and it'll be such a disaster that the left will rise up stronger and stronger than ever. And actually, no, we had, like, disaster in the Middle East, horrible economic policies, and then, yes, eventually, because of that, Obama was able to come to power eight years later, and but then just spent had to spend the best part of a decade just gradually moving the ni- moving the dial back again. Because, like, I mean, gradually this is nudging Because the- it, it doesn't... Because international politics is such a weighty slow-moving juggernaut of a thing. All you can do is move the dial one direction slightly. Well, also, it's always easier to drag towards chaos. Like, if you think of things in terms of gravity, chaos is down yeah. and order is up. Yeah. And, it ta- and in the same way as you will remember bad experiences much more strongly than you right. remember good experiences because there's no survival benefit to remembering I, a good experience. I, it's, very hu- it's very easy, as you say. Like, you can just drop one little 9-11 in yeah. and then... It, it goes everything plunges downwards by four feet and i think that's the key i think because i was about to what i was about to say is i've said two things that are kind of contradictory but i think what you just said evens it out because on the one hand i was saying this you can screw have this. it all raise it all to the ground approach has never worked in politics but then i said but it does with terrorism but i think you're right chaos is the mitigating factor if you're happy for there to be chaos yeah and disaster then you can have a large effect with a small with a small event. The whole of civilization is a house of cards that's <laughs> built on illusions and assumptions and prejudices, yes, and and sort of logic and very carefully agreed order. And yeah. you know, the social contract is based on everybody sort of behaving relatively well most of the time. Yeah. But it only takes one person to drive the wrong way down a highway. Yeah. But that also happens at the top end. You know, we have these sort of social contracts and then we're we're gradually finding out bit by bit that it's at both ends of the economic scale where that social contract is broken. Yes. But only one end seems to be being punished for it. Yes. Dis- like and at, again, disproportionately punished the, for it. Yeah, exactly. Because that, like, um, and it's in the interest of the right wingers to keep our eyes focused at the other end of the scale, where you're like, yeah, poor, like poor people and disenfranchised people flout society's rules by doing things like stealing and cheating on benefits and doing what they do to get by and some of them need to do it to survive and some of them don't need to do it to survive but still do it Um, and then at the other end of the scale there are people who have sufficient wealth and power that they can ride roughshod over society's 
predetermined agreements. And diffuse and they do wrong get away with it. is much much more difficult to process. So, for example, if you have a, a single mother who is, you know, leaving her child in front of the television for five hours, that really hits home as this yeah, terrible you this injustice. Face. You can put this face on the thing rather than a building on the Whereas thing. Whereas one guy at Monsanto can have made the decision to distribute this pesticide, which they're arguing may be responsible for the Zika virus or the microcephaly yeah. element Although of I the think Zika that's virus. Kind of bullshit now, but. Yeah, but I mean, uh, let's say that hypothetically that's true because it's it's plausible and things like that have happened before. Mm-hmm. That can ha- that can be one guy who does that, yeah. and a thousand or a hundred thousand children are damaged by that. Or what, say the guy who figured out how to put sugar into bread for McDonald's burgers. Yeah. And then so many people have suffered sort of, by that. Yeah, they're sort of or, or just not paying taxes. The two different types of people who don't pay taxes, like you know, so the the poor people who can't or like cheat on the tax to get by, and then the people who just shuffle their various interests around different Caribbean islands. Yes, and exactly. through different shell companies and you never find out about it. Um, or then the banks that are... that are, Well, just, just now, Wells Fargo has just been found to have been spending the last five years repeatedly signing their customers up for um, products that they didn't ask for, credit cards and accounts oh, that they God. didn't want. That's the whole... Th- um, they recently... They recently got found out and they had to pay a huge fine, but no one involved in it's really been punished, including the CEO. That was just a big thing about that in Congress. But um, but they're basically getting away with it, or they're paying these fines that probably don't add up in total to how much money they made through this. Yeah, through and this it, scheme. So it's not, I mean, if you look at the, again, cost-benefit analysis, for them it's worth that's making. That's exactly what it is. My friend Alexis put it interestingly. I hadn't thought about it like this before, but he was like. Alexis who just got married. No, different. Like, different and Alexis, you wouldn't know. Oh. Um, He's not in the comedy world, uh. but he was an old university friend of mine. But um, he was like, uh, there's two different ways of looking at the law, and it's like the two different ways people look at the rules of a sport. Mm. Like, you might look at the, the rules of the rules of the game of football. Like, this is a list of things you must or mustn't do when you're playing this game. Mm. But to a professional athlete or to a professional coach, they do think about it as more of a cost-benefit analysis. Like... They look at it like, well, the rule says you shouldn't make this illegal tackle, but if they're about to score and that would be winning the match, maybe it's worth doing it because making this illegal tackle has and this is, has this percentage of you getting of stopping the goal, this percentage of you getting caught for it. Yeah. If you get caught, this is the punishment, and obviously this is happening in a microsecond decision. But they're like, well, hang on a second, if the the benefit of this wrongdoing, if the expected average benefit of this wrongdoing outweighs the cost of not doing it, yes. then you should do it. Yeah. Um, and that's how the bankers, and that's how some of these large companies view the laws. Like we view the law of the land as a list of things you must or mustn't do if you're living in society. Yes. Whereas them, it's like, well, okay, if we fix the LIBOR rates between us, if we conspire, if we conspire to fix these exchange rates. We have this percentage of getting caught. We'll make this much money from it. Uh, if we do get caught, the average this is the fine expected is, fine. Yeah. So what's our expected outcome? What's our expected negative? Yeah, Out- and how long am I going to be CEO? Yeah, and also when it's talking about bankers, they are people and traders. They are people who do cost-benefit analysis at the highest level, at the most rigorous, yeah. finely tuned level. And they make those gambles daily. They have yeah. Great- so that's like that is their job to be amazing at that calculation, as that type of calculation. And never think this is someone's house. This is someone's life. This yeah, is- it's because it's all because again it's removed three levels from the person. Very- um, 
I was thinking about this uh, recently. I had, I mean, not quite. Uh, so this welfare thing, particularly, there's been a recent thing in Australia where uh, the government um, has suggested a complete rejig of welfare, including targeting with education programs at-risk groups, quote-unquote, at-risk groups in the welfare receiving communities. So young parents, students and right. and carers, young carers uh-huh. are more likely to use welfare later down the line. So they're, who, if they're on welfare now, they're more likely to continue to get welfare at various times on and off or continuously. Right. Um, now, whether or not you can prevent that through an education program, these kind of things, that completely excludes the value that these people are bringing to society. Like, if you're a young parent, you could choose not to bring up your kid. Like, you could choose to put your kid in a bin or put right. it on the on the state or give it up for adoption. So what are you saving the state? Or if you're a young carer, I mean, on, I, I know this because I, I was one, but I, wasn't, I, I didn't receive welfare, but uh, young unpaid carers receive, uh, save the government in Australia $60.3 billion a year. Jeez. So that's... Um, that's a big number. So, so those calculations that they're presenting as like, oh, welfare is going to drain the state, and this is the num. I mean, the the vast majority of, of welfare is the aged pension anyway. So the targeting what the aged pension. Okay. So targeting young younger groups is a, a drop in the ocean. Yeah, and I also I don't know about Australia, but certainly in Britain, because there's been lots of stuff with austerity, with the Conservative government really squeezing the welfare state. But that's also fundamentally a very tiny proportion of government spending that ends up being a scapegoat for a huge amount of stuff huge amount and 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 then also you know so for like pennies on people's taxes yes you're really making life exponentially worse for some of the most vulnerable people in the country exactly while there are companies who are not paying any tax at all who it would not cost a huge amount to get them to pay at least a small amount of tax and then the impact of that on them would be minimal and diffuse rather than personal and really highly felt but uh, uh, the project in Australia which is a nightly news program that I occasionally write jokes for um, Uh a news infotainment thing they I was talking about this in the writers meeting about the fact that I had been a carer for my mum and I hadn't even known really that I was a carer until I was in my mid-twenties even though I started about when I was ten because it was just looking after family right and because dad worked hugely hard that we didn't need to ask for welfare it was just part of our family life was looking after mum so it it never clicked with me that this was what you do what normal children do uh, until later down the line and the the project left wing and everything they wanted to run a story on it and they wanted to talk to me about it and so they were saying you know what they asked me a few questions and I said the thing a couple of things including that it's difficult to value care and there's not a huge distinction between caring about and caring for your family Uh that you know what do you want me to do you know of course I'm going to skip a job interview if my mum's sick like these things yeah and then they put it up and presented it and my dad was really upset about it they presented it as though I were a welfare recipient, which doesn't bother me. It was just in pursuit of the story and the point that they wanted to make. Yeah. But my dad was super upset because he worked really hard for me not to be and for me and my brother to never really right. have to register that, that we were doing this unusual thing. And then, and for me, though, the problem with that is the underlying social bias against welfare. Yeah, you're like... Your dad was upset because you were perceived to be a part of a group that there's stigma about, but then you're like, there shouldn't be stigma about that group, so it shouldn't be a thing you should be upset about. the amount of work I did, I should have been paid. Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't, but it wasn't... I didn't think of it as work. But equally, 
These are people who are doing valuable service for society. Students have value. Studying has value. Like you, you're yeah. a student who's receiving stu student payments so that they can pursue further education is not a drain on society. Right. They're a, they're a student. They're making themselves better for society. A young, a single parent should be supported because children are a valuable asset for right. society. It's like it's an investment. It should be seen as an investment at any rate. Or, and I think default status, it is an investment, even if some of them never come off welfare. I think you've got a net benefit to society. Right. I, I mean, the carers is the most obviously drawn one, which is that these are not now people who are not in nursing homes or in hospitals. They're people who get to be at home with their yeah, families. Yeah, that your personal care is saving professional care at a much higher rate. Yeah, so I was annoyed both by the right wing and by the left wing attitudes to my situation this kind of over compassionate boxing me into victim status hood and then this and then also but why shouldn't i be <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I wasn't a victim but i was somebody who should have been supported yeah and i, th I think both of both ends of that argument for me felt so unnatural having having had that experience uh, -huh. uh i don't know uh I, what was i saying what were we talking about reductiveness people who want easy answers to things basically yeah. And it's, all, it's never as easy as you want it to be. It never is as easy as you want it to be. But it will be one day. And that's <laughs> when we have to finish this podcast. Yes, you have to finish this podcast. Where can people find you online? Oh, yeah, thanks. I, uh, I meant that's when you have to finish this podcast. Like when you have, like once Oh, every once, things are, once things are easy. But, but I do, but you do actually have to, to go. I have to go. <laughs> yeah, when I end this podcast is when everyone knows what to think about everything. And um, done. Which is like, I don't know, probably three or four more episodes at least. Yeah, I reckon I'll have solved the world in... Give, give me six Okay, yeah, Half yeah, because you probably want to do some segues and chat about some stuff. And have some tea. And things, yeah. All right. Um, I'm Matt Kirshen on most internet things. Kirshen, K-I-R-S-H-E-N. Yeah. And Unusual distribution of vowels. Yeah, and if you forget, like, if you Google something even vaguely close to that, it'll normally come up with me and put comedian in the title as well. It'll come up with me. And Google you're doing an excellent like podcast called Probably Science. Yes, Which I really enjoy. Thank you. we got to steal you for that at some point before. I would love to do that. Uh, thank you very much. You're having tea with Alice. Thank you. Thank you.